Hey, good morning. This is the Reverend Willard Bass and Dr. Casey Glass, and we are uh, here with uh, Words of Truth. Welcome back. Uh, we've been gone for a minute, but it's good to be back in the room. And it is good. In this space, the work that we're doing, we believe is important, the idea of bringing truth and words about the way we experience racism in America, and more specifically here in Winston-Salem. There are some stories out there that we want the public to be aware of, and so we certainly are glad today to continue our discussion on education. On the last segment, we had uh, Reverend Parrish, and uh, on today we have uh, Mrs. Eunice Campbell, She's going to tell us a little bit about herself, but I do know that she's connected with the Education Collaborative. Is that the right name for it? If not, you can tell me, introduce it to me, and give us a little background of it. Uh, the work that you all are doing is outstanding, and I committed, you know, after I was on the Zoom with you all to help get the word out, and we believe that this Thank will be you. a way to do that. So welcome um, to our podcast and the work that we're doing to transform our community to be a better place for all people. So how are you doing today, uh, Eunice? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you. Great. It's good to have you here. And you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got you know, uh, interested in working on education? Uh, I am a uh, – I originally grew up in Davie County, uh, born in Yakin County, and grew, but grew up educated in Davie County. Okay which is right across the Yadkin here. So I moved to Winston-Salem a, a little over thir- uh, 30, 30, between 30 and 35 years ago. It right. kind of starts to m- roll into the year. The years start to roll into themselves, so you kind of, like, lose count. Yeah. But I've been here uh, my adult life. Okay. I am a graduate of Winston-Salem State University. All right. I graduated with a degree in business administration. I have my master's from Colorado State University. Okay. And I have been I've I'm married uh, 24 and a half years and I have a yeah. son that is uh, a rising freshman at Atkins. But all right. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's been hard work. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> it's been hard yeah. work. And it, education is something that I have always leaned on. When I um, I worked in a in corporate America, most really all of my um, adult life, mm-hmm. from starting at Bank of America, American Express, okay. PepsiCo, and now BCD Travel, which is the third largest corporate travel agency in the world. So I've always had that corporate background, and uh, and just in that environment. So I grew up on a tobacco farm. My first years were on a tobacco farm in Huntsville, North Carolina, which is in uh, Yakin County. We were farmers, rural, poor black Americans. Right. And education is the key, was the key to moving me out of poverty. Right. I was the first one of my siblings to go to college, graduate college, only one to have a master's degree. Okay. And seeing the environment around me, I, I can't I wish I could tell people exactly why I gravitated towards school when some of my siblings we all graduated high school, mm-hmm. but the 
intensity of the lesson educating for some reason I was maybe because I was the youngest of my mother had five children and I maybe I used education as a way to get attention because you know you have to fight for attention when you have when there's so many people in the house but I used education as a uh, as a way of that attention and I excelled in it I remember being one of the only black student at my elementary school in advanced classes. Okay. And I've got the teasing about, oh, you you try to act white because I made good grades. Right, there you go. But I never let that deter me from making good grades. If anything, it fueled my desire to continue to make good grades. So I had the education book smarts as my uh, father would say but okay. I didn't have the street smarts right so when I first went to college I didn't do it right because I it, not because of I couldn't handle it academically I could not handle it emotionally hmm. so I had to start over again in college all right and that's why I started it with Salem State when mm-hmm. I moved here to Winston and I remember I had a whiteboard in my uh, office at PepsiCo, and I would I had a quote that I just always somehow it was just stayed on me, right. and it was positive education always causes elevation, and it was peace, and I would sign my email that was my email signature peace, and right. underneath it positive education always causes elevation. I believed it, and because I believed it, and it was my affirmation. It materialized. So when I went back and finished my degree at Sam State, there was always this little person on my shoulder saying, you could do more. You could do more through education. So that's when I went back and got my master's. Okay. And it's just, and getting that just showed me that that's the path out that for me that was the path out of the for toward the things that I desired in life and a, a type of um, lifestyle I wanted to lead all right so when uh, my husband and I became parents when I became involved with the Forsyth County School District is when we became parents right I knew that, that I had to we jumped in he my when my son went to uh, daycare, that was our first lessons. When we went out, looked for daycares. I wanted him to have, have be in a, a daycare that did more than babysit. I wanted him to be in a daycare that right. taught him as well. Right. So when he started kindergarten, he was one of the first kids, well, one of the only kids in the classroom, his uh, teacher told me that knew his birth date and his address. Wow. And I thought that was, wow, that's so great. And it, it, it spoke a lot to the daycare we chose. Right. And I was so excited. Me and my husband, we were excited when he went to school. We He went to Gibson Elementary, which is a, a Title I school here in the district. When we looked at the choices to send our child, and I started doing the research, 
on these schools because I'm just an inquisitive type person. And I, when I make a decision, that's a really important decision. When you look at your school zone and you have these schools that you could choose you to send your child and right. and and you're like, oh, wow, he gets all these choices. Right. But all the choices were failing schools. So we had to make a choice out of which failing school did we want to send our child to. And failing in the, um, and I mean failing in the terms of the standards that the state of North Carolina had laid out. Mm -hmm. But it was still concerning to me that they're not meeting the standards of the state. So when we chose this school, my husband and I knew that, well, one thing about it, no matter what school we send him to, we have to be there as well. Right. So we were feeling that we could uh, get in front of anything that was causing the school as a whole, and we were looking at our child. Right. So our child went to school. I went to school, too. I became very involved in uh, Gibson Elementary. I became the PTA president at Gibson Elementary. I was the PTA president for five years at Gibson. He had gone to Haynes, which was his next move, and I was still at Gibson, the PTA president. Okay. I spent a lot of time. I was blessed to have uh, a virtual work-at-home job that I could take time away, and be at the school. So I was very well known. I was very um, active. I was a very active parent. Right. Well, one of the things I noticed, though, being at the school so much gave me insight to not just that one school, but the district as a whole. And I was invited to to these quarterly meetings with the superintendent, right. which was Dr. Emery at the time. She had just became um, the superintendent. Hmm. So we, I would go to the quarterly meetings as a representative of Gibson Elementary parents. Mm-hmm. And I'd get there, and I'm maybe one of two, three other black parents in the room. Right. The rest of the parents were from, uh, they were from other schools, and a lot of them were concerned mostly about the HAG, AG programs and their kids. So it was a disconnect to me. But that's when I first started seeing and was introduced to the districts, the, st- the statistics right. of, that drove the grades behind the schools. Okay. And I'm an analyst by trade. So when I saw those numbers, my job is to find the story behind numbers. So I gravitated toward all that data. I'm a data-driven person. And I started looking at the school district and realizing, hey, I'm not the only one who is faced with the choice. It just wasn't our school zone that had poor choices. Even right. though my household, our income was 100000 plus a year, but because of where I lived, I was zoned into Title I schools. Right. And it seemed that 
the stigmatism of being at a Title I school, it doesn't matter. You're treated. Uh, I noticed how parents and, and were treated at this Title I school, no matter how much money your household made. It's just, to, you know, where you're zoned at. Right. So when I started seeing those numbers, I'm like, well, surely to gosh, everybody doesn't know this. I've got to tell people. So that's when I went on my crusade, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. to let people know that there are there's a look at these numbers. Knowing is one thing, but when you actually see those numbers, the pie charts, the graphs, and you see how far behind our black and brown kids are, it it calls a Alarms just went off in me. I became motivated, and I felt like we've got to do something because my I have skin in the game, and my child is being um, my child is a part of this system that is not equitable, and no matter how present I am at the school, I can't sit in the classrooms. I can't monitor everything. So I needed help. So I started reaching out to people. I started broadening my circle okay. to so I could have a, 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 a larger platform for people to hear my, my voice, my, my, hear my alarm that's going off. Right. So that's when I started reaching out to groups and becoming not just involved in the PTA, but community organizations as well, the NAACP. Uh, I became more politically active. I'm the precinct chair for Brown Douglas Precinct okay. uh, 201. I was the education chair for the NAACP. And I'm also a member of the Coalition for Equity in Education, where we just had that um, the four-part web uh, webinar about mm-hmm. um, equity in education okay. and I'm also I also sit on the board for uh, action for equity okay so I br- I just cast my net wide right so I could have the 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 platform mm-hmm. to so people could understand exactly what's going on and I think I've been you know pretty successful with it mm-hmm. uh, you have to open people eyes to to the inequity because what my son's kindergarten teacher told me about him I remember first grade you know his certificates of achievement second grade uh, certificates of of achievement something went wrong between second and third grade Mm -hmm. at that school by the third grade my child wasn't able to did not pass his EOGs this really bright, intelligent child who was enthusiastic about school, right. it flipped somehow. So I'm like, what's going on here? And why is my child's enthusiasm for school decreasing right. instead of rising? Right. And I found out that, you know, that... There were a lot of reasons. Um, Inexperienced teachers. His third grade teacher was first time ever teaching. 
She, so she it was her first job, fresh out of college, going to teach third grade. She lasted from August to December at Gibson. Then she left during the Christmas break. Hmm. They had to split his third grade class up because it was like a all of a sudden I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And what his third grade teacher, his new third grade teacher, said, "Well, Miss Cam, I'll be honest with you, she didn't teach them anything." And I'm like, "Wow!" But he he was bringing home good grades, and I'm like thinking, "Okay, we're on back on track." So of course, third grade, he didn't pass his EOGs. Now he could read. He's always been a an, an excellent reader, but not able to pass EOGs in right. other subjects. So when you see the inequity in teacher experience at these schools, you see low expectations at some of these schools. You see a lot of just inequity as far as the ability for Internet, computers. It just fuels the inequity. So, right. yeah, so I am totally, you know, like both feeding in. There's a lot of things that need to just change in our school district. Okay. And so you have, uh, there's two areas that I really want you to share with us, and that is the work with the coalition and the work with um, Action for Equity. Because I know they have, uh, both of those are working on education very specifically. Exactly. Probably in a little different way. So it would be, be nice for us to learn a little bit more about this. So you want to talk about the coalition first. So what were your findings after you did the four-part study? What basically were your findings and what is your recommendations? Well, we had nine recommendations to the school board that we have presented directly to the school board. Uh, we came at the, um, when, after the, uh, the last election and the Democrats flipped the school board, they started a um, choice committee because a lot of them uh, campaigned on looking at the choice plan which I told you earlier, when you actually look at your zone and the choices that you have, not they're not all equal. Right. So a lot of parents have to choose between which failing school am I going to send my child to. So when they campaigned, they campaigned on looking at and being objective on the choice system. So they uh, a lot of, uh, to the credit of... Uh, the Democrats on the school board, they did create the choice committee. I was chosen to be on the choice committee because I was one of the parents. One of the things I started doing regularly was going to school board meetings. And when I was going to school board meetings, it was maybe like four people that were not a part of the school district and presenting that was actually in the room. But I kept going. I kept telling people the information that I found, and I spoke regularly at the school board meetings. So I'd already had a, uh, a relationship of being that one of those parents at the school board. So I uh, was asked to be on the choice committee. So I decided, yes, of course, I wanted to be on the choice committee. And that um, that led me to be chosen also to be on a, a, a committee for the school district that's called Bridges Collaborative. And Bridges Collaborative is an organization that takes a collaboration of school districts and people in, in, uh, that are involved in housing because they understand the coalition between school districts and housing. Okay. So 
I'm a part of that currently with the school board as well because they're using their recommendations as well to make the decision on what they're going to do as far as the choice system here in the district. During this time, I worked with uh, uh, several people, Nathan and Carolyn. I met them through they uh, um, the Coalition for Equity in Public Education. Right. So I started becoming more and more involved in that coalition, coalition as well. And we decided that it, it was time to be more strategic about w- this opportunity because mm-hmm. this opportunity hasn't has hasn't happened in over twenty years. Right. So if they're going to look at the choice system, we've got to take the chance, uh, take the opportunity, and but we have to be strategic about it. We, it has to be something well thought out. So we spent a lot of time, energy, and effort researching. Uh, the school district, the history of of segregation here in the county, the current situation as far as um, uh, the Title I schools funding, we went in deep. And we came up with the recommendations that we presented to the school board. Right. And uh, some of the recommendations is the, uh, to eliminate overlay restrictions that limit access for students in lower-income neighborhoods. And because of the, we talk about the zones, there are some school, schools that are in a certain zone, but because they call it overlay, you can't go to that school even though it's in your zone. So what and does that mean, overlay? Overlay is... Um, like a blue-green. They, they call them the blue-green zones. Okay. And they want to only keep certain amount of schools in a zone. So they ha- they call it like an overlay. Like if you go to Easton, even though Clemens Elementary is in your zone, you can't go to that school. That would be considered an out-of-zone school, even though it's in your zone. So they have the... Uh, Easton, which is an F-graded school. And when I say graded, I'm talking about state standards. Mm -hmm. Not If you go into some of these schools, they have some, uh, uh, there are inequities, but you have some really dedicated people and students. That's right. But so when I say that, I don't mean to offend or, uh, or downgrade any individuals or students or parents at these schools. Right. I'm talking about state standards. Right. There are various standards uh, governed by the state, identified by the state that every school should be meeting. Exactly. At least from a guideline perspective, right? And that's what we use in order to determine whether a school or a district is performing or not. Exactly. Right. So, okay. so, and, and I'd point out that's, that's one thing that um, people who want to perpetuate the system will try to grab onto is that the the reason that those are poorly rated schools is because of the people there and we just know that's not true like there right, are good people exactly. who really want great things at all these places and it's right. resources and a lot of other structural things we talked about that with the podcast with right. with, with Dr. Nate, uh, 
Reverend Parrish. Yeah, exactly. So, so but you have a school like Eastside that is graded an F by the state. And then you have Clemens Elementary that's graded an A by the state. But the students at Easton can't go to Clemens so Elementary. What's, what's the rationale for making Clemens an overlay school? Yeah. Like, how does a school go from, yeah, anyone can go there, to, oh, no, we can't, we can't let people in the zone still go to this school. How, what is the rationale that turns a school into an overlay school? The rationale from the school district, like I said, is to keep a certain count of schools within a zone. So it's not really something that we accept because you still have that. But that's their rationale. They just have to keep a certain amount of schools in a certain zone, elementary schools uh, and middle schools, uh, well, elementary schools, Specifically, so that's the rationale. Um, so East, East Zone has so many elementary schools, so many middle schools, so many high schools. Well, no, East Zone is East. is the actual um, school, right? East Zone Elementary, right? Uh, so they can each zone, yes, has so many right. schools in a zone, right. yes, and because there are because of the population, right. um, and supposedly in each zone, I'm supposed to have the choice to go to. Any of those schools in the zone. Exactly. But there are some things or criteria then that keep me from doing that. Exactly. And, and if. What um, are those criteria? Well, uh, the criteria for. That keeps me from going to Clemens Elementary. Well, because of the overlay. And that's just something that the district has created. Okay. So other than that, it should be open. You know, and a lot of. Um, so if I, but if, even if I lived in the Easton uh, school area, if mm-hmm. that was my neighborhood school right. and I wanted to send my child to Clemens, I would have to take them. Right. So they wouldn't provide transportation. But, transportation but you is not provided. you could do it if you provide transportation. Exactly. Even though so, the school's in your zone. Right. Okay. Even though it's in your zone, technically it's in your zone, okay. but it's not in your zone. It's not a... a so you don't have transportation, which would be a big barrier for a lot of people on the uh, south side of town. Okay. How would right, I get right. my transportation child? Transportation is a big sure. issue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, transportation would be a big barrier right. to, for them to get to Clemens. Right. But then they also flip it and say, well, the kids at Clemens can't go to East Dock. But as a parent, would you really choose an right. F school over an A school? Right, exactly. Yeah. So... That, to me, is no argument. <laughs> That's yeah. no argument. So one of the recommendations was to eliminate the, lay, the overlay. El- eliminate the right. overlay. Okay. And, um, and also remove student assignment parameters that increase disparities among schools and concentrate poverty. Replace with systems that actively reverse these patterns. And that means um, reduce incentives to choose out. You can choice out of a school. That uh, when we looked at when we were in the choice committee, they brought a lot of stuff to us. I mean, we had people from different departments, transportation, um, uh, school assignment. They these departments just brought us a lot of information, and it was astounding, uh, almost overwhelming. The choice system is a cost burden to our school district. 
especially when it comes to transportation. So um, you have to, you have parameters um, that cost. If you, you like magnet schools, that's one of the things they're looking at is magnet schools. Ashley Elementary is a magnet school. But when you have five kids from across the county coming to, to choose in Ma- uh, Ashley, and you're transporting those kids from across the county, because if you go to magnet school, you get transportation to the school. Right. But when you have, they showed us a zone, uh, a map of the busing. So you had like five or six lines coming out of Ashley. Then you have Haynes, where it's just red lines everywhere, everywhere. So you see that you're perpetrating a magnet school and transporting kids, and it's you just it's just it's you can't they can't sustain it anymore. Right. And it's it's a huge, huge line cost in the budget. And that's another reason I think they were also willing to look at the choice system because it's a drain on them on the budget. Uh, keeping this choice system in place. So, uh, and a lot of people have ignored that for years, the cost of it. Right. So, but it's getting to the point, especially with uh, state cutting school budgets. Uh, that you just can't do that any longer. Right. You just can't just ignore things that cost you money that is not sustainable. And the choice system is one of the things. Can I ask a question? So sure. with this recommendation to reduce things that concentrate poverty, um, I live, uh, my, my local elementary school is Brunson. And uh, actually I've had one, two, three children go there because they were in the HAG program, which is probably an example also of how these magnet programs concentrate children and create a lot of costs for transportation. But I imagine if my kids weren't in HAG, they may, uh, I may have elected instead to choose a school elsewhere, whereas, you know, the, the, that is a way that instead of sending uh, children who suffer poverty to one school, if you take all of the children who aren't suffering poverty out of that school, that's a different way of concentrating poverty, which I think maybe a lot of people don't appreciate. They think of it only as a, you know, we're going to force people into one spot. But if you also just remove all of the people that create that socioeconomic diversity from a school, it's a different way of concentrating poverty. Right. Exactly. exactly. And when you do that, um, when families choose out of underperforming residential schools, um, that that school that they leave becomes underutilized. Sure. So Ashley is one of the schools that's very underutilized. Carver High School is underutilized because people are choosing out of those schools. Uh, in the 2019-2020 school year, 36% of elementary students in the district chose uh, choose out of their residential schools. Okay, and like I said, this is one of the reasons that uh, we have more students traveling more miles to get to school than at the height of the busing of, for integration. Yeah. 
So and like I said, mm-hmm. you saw if you'd seen the map, you would be like, wow, we bus kids. So people say busing is over. No, it's not. Busing is real yep. still in this district, and it's real through the magnet and choice system. Mm-hmm. And so they will bus. So they're still busing kids. Right. So when kids, when when people use an objection for uh, changing the choice system, we don't want to bus our kids. It's already happening. It never stopped. Mm-hmm. But it's, there's been more busing to increase segregation. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's right. the real thing. It's like a, it's re- reverse busing in the sense of accomplishing what you're trying to get in terms of more integrated schools. Exactly. And people, so they're allowing people to use, to have their own private schools publicly. Public schools, certain public schools have turned into private, private schools. schools. Yeah, I can see that happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and just can't, like I said, it has to be spoken and it has to be told and it has to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has to stop. And one of the other uh, recommendations is to distribute federal Title I funds on a per-pupil basis to all schools. Now, um, a few years ago, one of the other <laughs> things that I was involved in, especially while my son was at Gibson, was the Title I Parent Committee. So I was a part of that. And what we would do is we would look at the Title I budget as a whole. It was a group of uh, individuals and um, stakeholders, we look at the Title I budget as a whole. We would have our meetings, and that's something that the district doesn't do any longer. And we're becoming very concerned about that because each Title I school is supposed to um, have the parents sign a compact. They're supposed to have a compact meeting, meeting um Somewhere between the beginning of school and, the, and the, somewhere in October, and what during that meeting, the principal of the school is supposed to present their Title One budget. This is how much our school got, and this is how it's going to be spent. And hmm. I'm not seeing that happening in the district any longer, right? Which is a concern to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Why isn't this happening? Mm-hmm. If you go online, you will be hard-pressed to even find the Title I schools that even post their um, Title I budget online. So this is information that is supposed to be freely given, uh, advertised, the compacts should, should be signed, and those budgets should be reviewed by the parents of students at Title I schools. And it's not happening, mm-hmm. not as a whole, as a district, like it should. And federally, federally mandated as yeah, well, may, right. I, may I add. So what? how our school district chooses to do it is we're given a bucket of money, Title I money. It's usually around $22 million a year. That's the average when I was uh, there. And they'll take that money, uh, that, and they have a uh, formula where they distribute it mm-hmm. per school. And But once the money runs out, it doesn't matter your ratio of kids that meet the threshold. Mm-hmm. If the money runs out, and if you're at the bottom of the list, right. then you don't get any Title I money. Mm-hmm. And case in point would be R.J. Reynolds High School, 
who on paper is a Title I school and should receive Title I funding, but does not because the other schools above it, it falls too far on, on the list. Mm-hmm. So by the time it gets to R.J. Reynolds <coughs> High School, the money, the Title I money is gone. Mm-hmm. So what the coalition is proposing is that instead of giving it to a school as a whole, mm-hmm. g- let it follow let it be a per pupil. Yeah. Sure. That way that those sense. services, because there's a lot of kids that need, need those, those services. extra That's services right. at these schools that are not getting Title I funding. Yeah. They're not receiving it. Right. Which could be a reason why you find that even that you're finding certain schools where kids, when you look at the school, it may be a B school. Per state standard, but when you break it out by demographics, which ESSA, the Every Student Succeeds Act, started uh, requiring, you'll see that it's a B school, but your black and brown kids in that B school are C's, D's, and F's. So you have that mm. breakdown right. that that you can't it it. Unveiled it, opened that door so you could actually see what's going on inside the school. Right. That is the school as a whole. Right. So you have a lot of people propping the school up, mm-hmm. but then when you break it down, it's a B school. Why am I? Uh, why are my African American students sitting here at D? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that Essa did um, did reveal. So. You have it's a B school. There's no extra funding to help or give those extra services to some, the kids that may need it because, like I said, the money's gone. Right. So, but if you do it per pupil, then there is a pot of money to add some type of services to that location. Okay. So, uh, Eunice, what, what's the status then of your recommendation? You made the recommendations to the school board. We've made the recommendations so to the school board. So have you had any board. kind of feedback yet? What, what's the status? Well, the feedback has been good. It's been positive. Right. They've been very uh, 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 acceptive of our recommendations. Right. The sum, I know that the, the official recommendations will come from the Bridges Collaborative. And like I said, being able to be a part of that group as well mm-hmm. and and hopefully influence some of their their uh, recommendations okay. and just learning from other school districts across the country. That's the great part about it. Winston-Salem for Scythe County is not the only school district that is dealing with this issue. That's right. And they've opened up themselves to take recommendations, which I have to give them credit for even doing. Okay. Our superintendent at the present, uh, McManus, is she uh, her mindset and the way she looks at school districts and her past and where she's come from and her accomplishments mm-hmm. is exactly what we need in this district. Right. I, I think her... For example, for, for example, we were sitting in a meeting, and one of our issues was the new school in Louisville, and the fact that they were going to cl- uh, the school is opening, but it's going to be a, a residential neighborhood school only, school only, which means that it's uh, it, 
it's not going to be a part of the choice system. So I can't choose, even though it's in the zone, my zone. If, well, how can they do that? How can they? Because school board can vote voted on it. The school board voted yeah, on it. But why would they do that? To, to keep to the isolate school, school, separate the school from the school systems. My only reason is because plan. I was there during that meeting, and I made the point that if you make this, do not open this school up to the choice right. system. Right. If you just keep it strictly residential, then who's going to go? The people right there in right, Louisville. Exactly. That's right. And so, so you're closing out a lot of students to being able to be a part of this new school. Right. And they and I find that they do that a lot and it's purposeful. Right. They made it their business to make sure that that happened. Right. So this school is not going to be open to kids uh Right. Minority kids. Was that the current school board or the last? The current school board. Current this school happened. Board. Yeah, this we're talking about the current school board, and they voted to keep keep this a close, a pretty yeah, so much I mean, a residential school. You know, I know why they would do it because if it's uh, the interest of that particular neighborhood, you know, to have a certain type of school, that's fine. But it's a public school. It's a public school system. Thank and you. And under a public school system, then it should be a part of the choice plan, and it should go through all of the other things that every other school does. So that so that's the issues then that we have, and I want to thank you, Eunice, for being here and giving us more clarity around this whole idea of education and what we're faced with. And we certainly want to make sure that we continue to stay uh, abreast and contact and lo- know how we can continue to help too. And uh, I'm sure that the listeners out there are going to be uh, finding ways to get involved. I'm actually a part of what's called the Justice Collective, and the, the very uh, one of the um, motivations for the Justice Collective is to address inequities wherever they are and education mm-hmm. happens to be one of the major things that we're working on so we've got our eye on this idea of education and we'll be there to help bring voice and to bring uh, action to uh, to this solution for education as we go forward Eunice I'm wondering like um, give you kind of the last word here Would, do you think this is a hopeful time in terms of getting some actual changes to go through or yes yes I do with the um, with the superintendent we have the willingness of the school district to actually um, look at the choice system because being in those meetings, there were uh, school board members that were uh, blown away by the data and the information that we received as well. They didn't understand the uh, cost burden on the school district, and they didn't understand exactly how a lot of their policies are affecting people's choices. Mm-hmm. So when you call it a choice system, the question is, is it truly a choice? Right. Yeah, and the answer choices? is no. Yeah. Right. The answer, you really don't have a choice. I don't have a problem with the choice, a choice system, just the way that our district is managing our mm-hmm. choice system okay. that is keeping a lot of people uh, from actually having a choice. Right. And as far as last words, I want people to understand they're already talking about a 2024 school bond. And I want people to really think about what they put on that school bond. I want people to demand that the public have has input. Right. of what goes on that school bond right. because that's how action for equity, action for 
Ashley. That all started because the last Gubon, Ashley was on it until the last draft, and it kind of disappeared. Right. And I was fortunate to be able to supply people with that information because I was going to those quarterly meetings, and they promised Ashley again on the school bond, and then it just disappeared. So in 2024, the public, parents, need to really pressure the school board. We need schools in the city. Enough with building schools out in the county because we're not getting schools in the in the in the city that we need. Right. And so I want people to understand that not another brick, not another bond, uh, uh, slogan from uh, Action for Ashley. Uh, that's real. Uh, I was a part of that, and I haven't forgot that, and I will hold to it. And uh, I know there's some other people who feel the same way, but we have to apply that pressure. When these recommendations come down for school choice, I hope that people are involved, apply the pressure that's needed to actually make a choice uh, so that it's just not putting a Band-Aid over it, that these are actual choices because we have to integrate our schools um, We have to integrate our schools beyond just the students. We need integration with teachers as well. We need more black and brown teachers in our schools, no matter where they're at. So there's a lot. There's When we say integrate in our schools, and we mean on all levels, on all point. levels yeah. of integration. Thank you. So, again, we want to thank you, uh, Ms. Eunice Campbell, for coming and being with us today and sharing, uh, again, these um, very critical, important lights on education. You know, and, and like um, I said, all schools should be all good schools. All schools should be good schools, no matter where you are. Exactly. If you choose to send your child to a neighborhood school, it should be a good school. If you choose to send them somewhere else, it should be a good school. And, and complete exactly integration right. is how that is accomplished. There you go. Complete integration is what we want. Thank you very much. And we want to thank the audience for joining us today on uh, Words of Truth. And look for the next segment because we're still delving into our community and our county. We want to share information that's going to help us go forward with this community. I always say we want to build a community where all residents have the opportunity to flourish. I used to use citizens, but some folks are not citizens. But they're residents and they have the rights just like anybody else to to flourish. So thank you very much. And y'all have a good day, good week, and be blessed. Thank you. Bye now. Thank you.